0: Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming streamlined studios, state of the art, I might add, of Outlaw Radio USA at our secret bunker somewhere in Los Angeles. Following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear. Taking time out of my busy schedule. Man over there, Howard Lapidus, manager to the star, parentheses, S, close, parentheses. Yeah, Mark C.G. Boyer is here, our fact checker. And when it comes to facts, today we have undoubtedly one of the weirdest stories, strangest cases in the history of American whatever. What would you call I would call it American justice. Hi, uh, Burl. Yes,
1: yeah, this is Sam Thurman. How you doing with the death cause?
0: Uh, yeah, it's a just cause, all right. Uh, I've been reading about this case, and it is the strangest thing. We were talking about it before the show. We can't make heads or tails out of it. It makes no legal sense to me. Of course, I'm not an attorney, and I don't even play one on the radio. No, you don't. Sam, it's Howard and How are you doing? It's why the heck wasn't this thing over before it started? Uh,
1: you, you have to look at it from a standpoint of uh, and I think you guys hit the nail on the head, and, and Cliff Stewart uh, is, is on with me as well. And so you, have, you hit the nail on the head in the sense that this is the weirdest case and anyone that has looked at it says that it should not have gone to trial. As a matter of fact, gentlemen, there were two grand juries that were impaneled for this. The first grand jury looked at it and, and got it right and they called it what it was. It's, it's a debt, a corporate debt situation that should have been handled through civil court. Uh, and the assistant U.S. attorney who was prosec- prosecuting this case, Matthew Kirsch, did not like the fact that that grand jury came back with a no bill. So let's do a make, make good.
0: They wanted to redo a make good on it. <laughs>
1: It, that's what it sounds like. And so he, he did a second grand jury, only called one witness, which was an FBI agent uh, by the name of Robert Moen, and, uh, and the, uh, the grand jury came back with an indictment.
0: Before we run too far down the road, bro, why don't you set the case? Well, I, I think I want Sam to set the, uh, the case here because uh, it is, it makes, no, okay, let, let me put it this way. See if I got this right. You have a software company with real, you know, savvy people, accomplished people, put their heart and soul into a project that's some kind of software for for law enforcement. And they've been working on this, uh, putting their own money into it, investors, whatever, they got, uh, you know, subcontractors working. All of a sudden, they get raided by the FBI, and the warrant, I believe, says they're going for the financial records. But they also take the software.
2: That doesn't isn't supposed to exist. Yeah, that doesn't isn't supposed to exist because that's what the prima facie case is—that they weren't building any software. So, am I correct?
1: You, that you are absolutely correct. It's uh, that's where it starts to look like smoke and mirrors. When okay, you have... now,
0: now, will you please fill in the blanks of what I explained so the audience at home, glued to their computers, <laughs> understands what we're talking about.
2: Here, oh, that's the help
0: we're talking
1: about the company was irp solutions corporation and irp developed a software called case investigative Lifecycle software to put this in perspective everyone everyone in the united states is aware of the tragic events that occurred on 9-11 the 9-11 commission basically said that our law enforcement agencies were not doing a good job of communicating and sharing information with each other the software that irp solutions was developing again called the case investigative lifecycle software, it would allow law enforcement agencies at all levels to uh, be able to share information, collaborate on that information, and basically automate how they collected data uh, related to uh, investigations, which ties directly into answering the mail of uh what the 9-11 commission was stating. Now in the situation with the raid, uh, now first, uh, you gotta look at this from the standpoint, IRP Solutions was a, was a, a uh, a startup company. IRP was contacted by the Department of Homeland Security now I will qualify that by saying that IRP Solutions was doing its due diligence it was out there marketing the product product just like any other startup company was uh, would do and uh, but in this situation with the Department of Homeland Security which in the 2003 2005 time frame was a new agency the department of homeland security contacted irp solutions and said we understand that you guys are developing something that we need to see can you come to washington dc and do a presentation now i think that was howard who was talking who, who said you know that uh, they raided the business took and they were supposed yeah. to come and get the financial records that was but the way they yeah. took the software that didn't exist that's because of the warrant that uh, agent john smith presented Said that IRP Solutions was a company that was was a purported software development company. Now anyone can look that word <laughs> up and basically. saying the and- that
0: they weren't really hey, doing it. You, you know what? Do me a favor, Sam. Let, let's wind the clock back just a little, little further. Okay. Sure. Who founded IRP?
1: Well, IRP was really a collaborative effort. If you look, if you uh, if you will, uh, the, uh, the the. Prime uh, software developer, the chief architect was Gary Walker. But he was working along with David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Clinton Stewart, Demetrius Harper, and
0: Kendrick Barnes. Can you walk it back to find out who who gave the initial order do this? Well, let, let's look at it from this per- perspective, gentlemen.
1: Uh, for Burl, who, 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 you know, you say that it's a, it's a money issue, it's a software issue. I agree 100% with, with uh, uh, the other angle as far as did race play a role? Okay, let's look at it from the standpoint of the question is, okay, who called the shots? Well, let's look at it from the standpoint of who didn't know that the shots were being called. Okay, at the yeah. time that this raid went down, the special agent in charge in the Denver office of the FBI, which is the overarching authority in, in the state, the uh, special agent in charge at the time was, uh, was uh, Agent Reed. Reed was an African-American uh, uh, special agent in charge for the region. We found out later that he didn't even know that this raid was going down. So you have a raid happening on an African-American business that is 65 miles south of your headquarters in Denver, and you don't know that 20 of your agents are raiding a business? Ooh. This is this is That's getting good. good. Yeah, this, is, this uh, bro, is really. I ask you, it's uh,
0: like <laughs> it's getting I'm worse by the minute. That's this. my point, bro. I, I'm, it smells? No, you know, it's good. it's it's now. Now, when you tell me this part of the story, uh, they're really trying to hedge all their bets. I mean, <laughs> you know what was so, so freaky about him. this? They didn't, so, tell tell no. they didn't tell him. They didn't tell him. Well, so Burl, I, I, Again, I say I don't care who called the shots. Somebody was
1: calling the shots. And why do you cut off the, the, the head of the person who should know? That's You're what I want to know. I mean, there are resources. And I don't know how many, you know, $100,000 or several hundred thousand dollars to execute a raid using 20 agents. And, and Cliff can vouch for this because he was on site on that day. And some of the agents that came out of Denver even said that they didn't know why they were there.
0: This is the strangest damn story I have heard oh, in years. Oh, it gets better. It let's gets uh, better
2: or worse? Oh, it gets, it gets better. Let's, so uh, let's, Burl, let's Burl, move
0: does on. that kind of help? Yeah, 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 that
2: does. That does. Thank you. Let's move on to the appeal and the bullshit that went on there.
3: Cliff, I'll let you take that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if, if you look at the appeal, you say... Wait first
0: a second. Of- wait. Hold on. Hold on. Uh-huh. We have to take a 60-second break. And then we'll come back for the bullshit on the appeal. All right? We'll be right back.
3: This is Zach Gustine, and if you own a cell phone, and we know you do, or ride a plastic pony in front of Albertsons, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now safe to roam while Barstow's burning and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com. The smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. You know the demons of decadence change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Now available free at radioloyalty.com. Just punch
0: in Outlaw Radio. See that, Mark? You stay on script. Hi, I am the legendary Burl Bear. And in my spare time, and I'm not busy combing my hair or being famous, I write true crime books. I'd like to write a book about this case. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Uh, in fact, what is so weird, this little sidebar here, is that I actually did write a novel that has this as a plot. (laughs) Stealth, yeah. U.S. government steals all of Japan's software with a bogus scam, but uh, you could buy that one for uh, a buck ninety-nine or something. Anyway, buy all my books, and while you're at it, donate money to help the families of the IRP six because they could use a little help. Being as if the uh, the breadwinners are the uh, how do they do that cosmic slammer, uh, we'll ask our guests how they donate to help the families of these people that it appears to anyone with a sane brain that they're wrongfully incarcerated for having the balls to make a good product. <laughs> and now, back to the show. Oh, nah, nah. we have to listen to this for some bizarre reason, don't we, Matt? <laughs> back to True Crime Uncensored. Yes, we're back. Hey, real quick, how do we donate money to help With the With Burl Bear and <laughs> Howard Lapidus. And Mark C.G. Boyer. Hey guys, you there? Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. Okay, we got it. Sometimes. No, no, she's not here at all, Matt. She took her boobets and went elsewhere. How do we donate money to help the families, real quick?
1: So, Burl, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, they can go to uh, GoFundMe.com and uh, that's uh, G O F U N D M E.com. Do a search on IRP and uh and they to be able to click on the donate button. We'd appreciate anything uh that they uh, assist with on
0: that. Well, I hope people do that. You okay, Howard? No, okay. <laughs> now, uh, let's get back to the as as Mark Boyer so succinctly put it, the bullshit on the appeal. Okay,
3: if you look at the appeal, you say, well, if all these things happened during during trial, uh obviously they were they were held in place so that these men could put up an appeal well that happened of course the appeal was set in and we as as a just cause because the appeal set for what was it sam like two years or something like that before there was a response to the appeal that's correct and so we did research and we said we said how long does it take typically in colorado for an appeal to come back well that response that that number was you know typically they do an appeal somewhere between uh 90 days and and eight months eight months was like the longest it took for an appeal to come back and we said okay so why is this one sitting so long every inquiry we made was just you know a door slam in the face uh when we we got in touch with um the 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 office of one of the appellate judges. The, his assistant said, look, that stuff's been sent back to Denver over a year and a half ago. And we're like, what are you, what, what are you saying? Call the clerk in Denver, Colorado. They will tell you they received our response a year and a half ago. We called the clerk in Denver, Colorado. They said, yes, we did get the information back, but it's still pending something to do with the writing judge. So basically, they're waiting for the last judge to write up the opinion on all of it. But to get to the issue, you know, after they delayed that, and even Judge um, H. Lee Saricin, he wrote several articles. Yeah, I have it right in front of me. Yeah, and and he said, you know, this is some of the most bizarre stuff that he had ever seen, not only from the appellate process, but the fact that with this missing sidebar, that even with the prosecutor, Matthew Kirsch, not saying something, he said that speaks volumes that the prosecutor has never come to the table and said, this is what I heard at that sidebar. And But when when they came back on the appeal, they said, yes, there was a constitutional speedy trial violation. They used the same exact uh, case law that they had used in a previous trial to overturn that case. They used the same exact law and verbiage, except they gave it a little twist and said, that's why we're going to uphold this case. And and when we looked at that, we're like, you've got to be sick. So we go to the second issue. (laughs) The expert witnesses are not allowed to testify. Now, when you look at a federal court, they say that, and uh, in, 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 uh, the law books say that, and even Judge Arguello made the made the statement that I understand this, this, these witnesses are very critical to your case, and that uh, expert witness should only be denied testimony in a very very rare situation it has to be something crucial and critical for them to be denied testimony after she makes that statement she says i'm not going to let your expert witness testify and you say okay well why wouldn't you and, and the issue with them not saying the expert witness could testify judge arguello i mean a uh, prosecutor matthew curse said well wasn't brought to our attention in time they didn't fill out some piece of paperwork or something this witness this witness both of the expert witnesses were on the witness list the prosecutor had gotten a letter three months prior um that he would be uh, or both of them would be testifying but so they said well they didn't feel like about this form whatever then we find out that the judge could vet an uh, expert witness sitting there right on the stand. You take the defense, you take the prosecutor, you get your the, the witness. witness, right? And you let them. You say, "Hey, you make sure this witness is an expert in this field, and then let's move forward."
2: Just remember not to call him to. a Ute. <laughs> yeah, what's a Ute? <laughs> it totally. This
3: whole case is totally insane. So, the appellate court they say we're going to uphold what Judge Arguello did there. Then we get to we're like okay well you guys did both of them we got to get something on this Fifth Amendment violation because it's not even in the transcript even though Judge Arguello said I did say something it's not on the record all they did was took a twenty floor staircase and went around that whole issue never addressed it they did say well. The, they, what, they, what they said, and, and it, it is it's sickening and almost laughable at the same time, is that we take the we take what the defendant said basically as what's, what was said because the transcript is not available. But we also say that the defendant took the stand voluntarily. Well, if I'm the defendant and saying the the judge forced me to take the stand, how can it be voluntary you, at that point? You say that I volunteered to do it. And and we read that and we said, you, this, is, this is totally, totally, absolutely insane. How does the appellate court
2: –
3: and, you know, we thought with uh, as naive as citizens as we were that, you know, if everything falls apart at the district level when you're in trial, then you go to the appellate court and they're there to make sure that anything that happened wrong, they're going to make it right. That's what their job is, right? That's mm-hmm. what we thought. That was another fairy tale because we went to Congress and talked to them about some of this stuff. And what they're, what you, you're talking about, con- Congressional Legal Counsel told us, well, the appellate court is set in place to confirm what the district court did. No, no, not- no, it's not. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yes, they told us that. No, but it's they're not. Looking- they were not looking for things to make sure that the uh, that the district court didn't make a mistake and that they'll fix it to make sure you don't go to prison. They're there to say, we're going to find every way in the law that we can to ensure that the uh, district court did everything right and if that if there was an error, it's not the type of error that can get your kids overthrown. It was an uh, error that, uh, that basically... Was was not egregious. It's an error that's that's um what are we called harmless. That's it. It was a harmless error. Well, it's not a harmless error if, if in I'm, prison. If I'm in prison <laughs> yeah. what do you yeah, what do
0: you call harmless when the guys are in a slammer? Mm. Exactly, this
3: and is, that is what they did. When we heard that, our jaws dropped. We're like, what are you talking about? there are in place to uphold what the district court did. That basically again threw us for a loop as far as what we thought the American justice
0: system. Oh, I'll tell you, when there there is a system of American law, but apparently there is not American justice. The the judge uh, who didn't do the case, but the judge has been writing articles about it. Uh, he's pulling what's left of his hair out. Uh, I mean, I read. I mean, I've got right in front of me the, this the, this judge who raises very succinctly. He says, "You know why? If you know uh, this program was designed for law enforcement, if you're going to do a scam, you don't do a scam on law enforcement." Let me
2: right. uh, let me read this really quick here from uh, from the uh, from uh, Lee Starkin. He says uh, that the government uh, proved that the defendants incurred debts and didn't pay them. But it failed to prove that they did not intend to pay them when incurred, because that was not their true intention. If they didn't prove their prima facie case, how could there be a conviction? The whole That's thing is just ridiculous.
3: That's absolutely right, because without an intention, there, without intention to commit a crime, there is no crime. That, that goes against d okay credence of American law. If I did not do, in, intend to commit a crime, how do you convict me for conspiring to commit a crime? How do you convict me for saying that I I defrauded someone? When when every business, any person that's in business, say, what do you do? My intention is to build, market, and sell my product. And if that money. is my intention, Help my then customers. Right. How do I commit a crime by doing that and then going into debt? Everyone in small business goes into debt unless you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth
0: and clip.
2: Or no. Okay, so what's next next, uh, for these gentlemen? What's the next step for them?
0: Next step is they'll probably be out of prison by the time anything happens.
1: Well, you know, a Just Cause is pushing uh, 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 several avenues. There are a lot of uh, things that we're working on as far as, you know, from a grassroots perspective. And we don't uh, dismiss anything as far as uh, other options that may be available, uh, even through the door of, you know, whether it be the Department of Justice or an, an avenue like that. So, you know, without going into a whole lot of detail. Yeah, don't tip your hand on the radio. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Uh, But if I may, if I could take like 30 seconds to to just kind of talk about that intent uh, discussion, that was a part of the argument during trial that federal uh, judge Christine Arguello Strongly opposed and would not allow any discussion in front of the jury regarding intent, and so that again is, is you know, it's how can you say that I'm innocent until proven uh, guilty if you will not allow me to convey to the uh, to the jury, you know, everything as to my intent, and that even, gentlemen, extends to the point of the assistant U.S. attorney Matthew Kirsch. Uh, Argued that he did not want the IRP 6 to be able to present any evidence of their business dealings post 2005. I believe it was a 2005, Cliff anything after the raid or anything after the indictment. He did not want the jury to hear the fact that IRP Solutions was continuing to try and sell the software so as to settle their debt. He wanted to, tr- to convey this image
3: of, of these gentlemen. <laughs> and oh, man, company. this thing stinks from one end to the other. Exactly. And to add, just to add to what Sam is saying quickly, he part of the reason he didn't want anything after 2005 was because it was there was there was just distinct evidence that he interfered with commerce by going to the Philadelphia uh, Police Department and also the uh, the Inspector General in, in Philly, saying do not do business with IRP Solutions. There is going to be an indictment coming down on oh, this boy. company. Now this was this was pre indictment. There was paperwork in place and when it was found that an investigation happened, they they contacted them or say, Hey, what's going on with this investigation? He tells a potential client there is going to be an indictment. That is illegal and the judge Torturous interference
0: was... with business relationships.
3: Exactly. The judge would not allow that to be brought into the court. All she did, no, nothing after the raid, nothing after the raid can be brought up. Well, you're telling me that he interfered with business. He broke the law. He, this is outside of his uh, of the, of his prosecutorial job. This is misconduct, and it's worse. Oh since. yeah. Are you telling me I cannot bring that in as a judge? You're telling me that that's not a judge playing referee. That is a judge working for the prosecutor. And
1: Cliff, there were at least a, well, there were a couple of uh, jurors that we were able to get to cooperate and answer a couple of questions post trial, uh, who actually said that if they had known some of the facts that they found out later, like some of the things. We're sharing with you and some of the things that you found out through your own due diligence. These jurors actually said if they hadn't known that during trial, then there there would not have been a conviction. And as you know, there couldn't have been. Just like No, you're there
0: couldn't have been. I mean, none of it adds up, none of it makes any sense whatsoever. Now, the, the judge who wrote the uh, several articles, this, this is an interesting one. Why did these defendants, with no criminal record, no risk of flight, convicted of nonviolent crime, get seven to eleven years and be denied bail? (laughs) (laughs) Makes no sense whatsoever. Hey, listen, guys, we're out of time.
1: We we are out of time. We could probably do another couple hours on this, and we hope to have you back again, soon. Thanks for your time today.
0: Thank you very much. What a hell of a case! Whoa, Whoa. this shakes your faith in just about everything, doesn't it? Forget it, Jake. It's (laughs) Chinatown. Jake Matt Allen of the Demons of Decadence Coming up next on Outlaw Radio Oh my little pretty one My pretty one When you gonna give me some time Sharona
3: We